Trisden here with the Extreme Common Sense Podcast, thanking our friends at Berea Pond. We could not do the podcast without the generous support from Aaron and Robin at Berea Pond. And also, my house wouldn't have nearly as much cool stuff without all the items at Berea Pond. So when you're ready for your next furniture, gun, ammo, pallet, they have so much cool stuff, you're not ever going to regret going to Berea Pond. That's Berea Pond at 107 Clay Drive in the old IGA building across from near New Auto Center. Don't miss out. If you're from the area, you got to get into Berea Pond. We are Trisden and Ray. Having lived and spent time on the coasts and in rural Appalachia, we feel like we have a unique perspective on most topics working to find the common sense middle in a country becoming more and more polarized. Welcome to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. What's up, Ray? Hello, Trisden. Man, a serious show today. I think this one might be a little bit heavy, but it's a show that I've wanted to do for several years. Yeah, and this week of September 11. Yeah, and so uh, this is a touch before September 11th as we sit in studio, but this show will, will air on September 11th. And, you know, I would have to imagine any anybody that was uh, an adult September 11th, 01, has some pretty vivid memories of that and probably what our grandparents or great-grandparents would uh, think of as uh, D-Day maybe or the bombing of Pearl Harbor or some of these major world events. But, man, absolutely. I was so affected by 9-11 as I imagine you were. Oh, gosh, I remember it so well. So what are we talking now? 22 years, right? Yeah. 11, uh, 1, 11, 21, 2, 3. 22 years, yeah. And that old, you know, kind of corny phrase, remember it like it was yesterday. But, um, of course, I was working for your boss then. And so it was quite a day in the studio. Um, we actually at Wallingford Broadcasting combined all the, of Kelly's stations because I do remember Don Stocker, who was the engineer at the time, saying, uh, so one of those stations, you had to ID the stations every hour at the top of the hour. And I've learned to pronounce it now, Saliersville. But he said, man, you called that Sailorsville, Salisville, every damn thing but Saliersville on the air that day. But it was a, it was a hectic day. It was a beautiful day. St- I remember the weather, Trisden. It was just a stunningly beautiful day, I guess, from from the Mississippi River East, because it was a beautiful day here in Kentucky. It was a, just a absolutely, you know, one of those late summer days in New York City that are a plus. You know, you only get a few of those a year. And that was just an odd thing that that day was such a picture perfect weather day. It really was. That'll, I'll always remember how beautiful a day it was and what a tragedy it turned into. Yeah, I remember the same thing. I, I One of the the nicest days ever, right? Like you just remember. Yeah, you, like almost college, literally, yeah. Yeah, I was in college at the time at Berea College. And uh, if memory serves, at this point, some of it's fuzzy. But I think I got up that morning, I had 8 o'clock class, and I had come back to take a little nap after that class. Maybe got back at 8.50 or something. And then when I woke up, like every person on campus was just staring at a TV. Like it was just like, yeah. oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. Like New York's under attack. And uh, like, you know, it kind of everything just changed at that moment in, in ways that I feel like it probably didn't for a long time uh, socially and probably even in our own minds. And today we're uh, we're going to end the show. We're actually going to have a 9-11 first responder, a medic who was uh, who was there at Ground Zero that day. 
and who's going to talk a little bit about his experience. But, you know, I just know how much it affected me as just a 21 year old kid. I can't imagine being there and seeing some of that. Oh, gosh. No, I can't. No, it's crazy. That's, um, you know, because you see those, um, you see that video and it was just so, so, I don't know if morbid is the right word, but it's such a dark scene. You know, it was just so dark with the, um, I guess the smoke and the residue from all the buildings. And, and you know, it, it's probably stayed that way for several days. I mean, and there were, unfortunately, any number of health problems that came, you know, after the fact, right, from yeah. first responders and such. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I read recently, I, it, it happened so fast, like, you know, you didn't have to be there for a month to, to really have some, some pretty serious repercussions. Like the breathing that dust, I mean, just for a matter of hours, I think was pretty, pretty powerful. And uh, yeah, I mean, it had to be Tristan. I mean, think of the magnitude of those two. Had you so had you ever been to the Twin Towers prior to their collapse? It's funny. I actually have a picture of myself in front of the Twin Towers in 2001. Uh, Fenton, who's been on the show, Brendan Fenton. And I had went uh, to no kidding. Were you up there that summer or something? Yeah, we were up that summer before we did our cross country trip. And uh, so, yeah, like six months or whatever before that. Wow. Stop by. Um, But, you know, we didn't do it like we were dirt broke and didn't really do a lot of the touristy like we didn't go up or anything or check them out. But we were there. So so that was pretty much my life experience with the Twin Towers. How about you? I've actually got a wonderful picture of my kids taken from the Jersey City Science Center, which is literally across the river. And um, somebody had the foresight, this is probably 97, to take, to, to frame, I think I think it was Mary, actually, Kathy's, Kathy's wife, um, to frame the picture with the Twin Towers in the back, just because they're cool buildings, yeah. were. And um, so there's several pictures I have in a frame where my kids are are framed with the twin towers in the background. Really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. That's a true keeper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I actually had a courier job in college when I was going to William Patterson prison and I found myself in downtown Manhattan at five o'clock and this might be an embellishment, but it seemed to me like they rang a bell, sounded a horn, something, and those two buildings evacuate and, and you go nowhere for 20 minutes. You've never seen so many suits and pants suits and in, in your entire life. And people are all heading for mass transit subways and buses and yada, yada. And you just kind of sit there marveling. You know, it's the it's the population of Richmond, Kentucky, dumping out of these two buildings. 40,000 people. Yeah. I'd never even heard that. That's that's amazing. Yeah. 40,000 people. I mean, that's many, 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 many towns across America working in these two buildings side by side, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. And they hit at a busy time. That was a Tuesday, I think, Tristan. Well, these Mr. Jobs invention here, I can go back and look. Um, I think my recollection was that September 11, 2001 was a Tuesday. Tuesday. But, man, it was, what, 9.15? Like, they didn't hit that at a Saturday at 7 o'clock at night when there'd be very few people there. They fucking waited for pretty much maximum, you know, maximum damage, those assholes. You know, it feels very, I mean, obviously deliberate, but well thought out. I mean, yeah, it wasn't a situation where you know, they were going to kill the cleaning staff. They definitely no. you know, wanted, wanted to do as much damage as they possibly could have. Exactly right. Um, and you know what's fascinating, Ray? I remember I actually also went to New Year's Eve uh, 2000 going into 2001. 
And I remember like kind of the talk of the store owners, uh, the chatter, I guess you could say, was that there were terrorist threats and, and probably something that was it probably still is kind of commonplace in New York. Probably a thing that a lot of people, uh, you know, over here in YPD might be talking about it. But, yeah, I thought it was fascinating. And, and once 9-11 happened, of course, I remembered that on New Year's Eve that they were saying that there's, you know, talks of of terroristic threats and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, uh, scary, scary stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, well, I mean, they had tried, um, you know, that same group had successfully actually tried that attack. So I think five or seven people were killed back in 93 when they did the garage bombing and then realized that, you know, I, there's different speculation as to whether or not the buildings collapsing were actually part of the deal. You know, Osama bin Laden was a um, structural engineer by trade. I don't know if you knew that. Did not. Yeah, no, he was an educated man. His father, I think, has, you know, his dad was one of the, his dad, I don't know if he called him dad. I don't know what they call each other. But his father was one of the largest contractors in the Middle East. Um, bin Laden, <laughs> bin Laden contracting. You ever see their trucks? Wow. And he had like 50 wives and Obama, uh, Obama, good Lord. How many times did we do that? Osama was one of the children by one of the many wives. But they weren't stupid people, and he had a degree in structural engineering, and they're saying that he may have thought that they could get those buildings to collapse by hitting them at the right place. Um, And others have said, no, that was kind of gravy for him, that they didn't really expect that. But at any rate, you know, the collapse of those buildings was something that you just, you know, it's just etched into your memory if you... If you saw it live, then, I mean, you know, the horrors of that probably would never leave you in terms of dreams, nightmares, et cetera. But even watching it on television was just unbelievable. Yeah, I agree with that, too. And, you know, it just feels like periodically, you know, even still to this day, like YouTube will just show you a clip of that. Like it'll just sort of be there or you'll see like a plane kind of going at at one of the towers and. It, it it causes, again, even as somebody that saw that on a low-definition TV 20 years ago, like it definitely spikes your blood pressure to see that because, you know, it takes you, you know, it takes you back at this point 22 years and just, and you you absorb a lot of those feelings again. So it uh, it, it can only be uh, un, unspeakable to think of what our, what our guest still feels to this day after going through that. Uh, September 11, 2001, as a side note, was the day I met our buddy Heavy D, Dave Harrison. Oh, wow. Because George Robbins had, yeah, George Robbins had hired Dave to do some board op work, and I hadn't yet met him. And then he, to his credit, figured, oh, gosh, it's a radio station. It's a news station. Maybe they can use some help doing whatever. So he brought his big ass up that day, September 11th, and we met. And, and the rest is a pretty good friendship 22 years later. Yeah, we met on September 11th. It was crazy. The other thing I remember, Tristan, was uh, being in the studio and they had suspended all air travel. And there was a report, turned out to be erroneous, but there was a report that the local ABC affiliate here, LEX, um, went on the air and said, we have uh, cause to believe that there may be um, a, a, a plane traveling. And of course we've got the depot here and the nerve gas in the area. And man, I can still remember that. Like, like, uh, uh you know, goosebumps, uh, you know, shivers down your spine. And they went on Tom Kenny, as I recall, uh, was the local anchor who came on and delivered that story. 
And then about 20 minutes later, they said, no, no, that turned out to be uh, uh, an inaccurate report. But oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and that there was, was crazy. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff I remember coming out at the time. And I think a lot of the anthrax stuff sort of yes. spiked from that where a lot there was a lot of anthrax attacks. And I don't God, remember that. Yeah. Afterwards, where all those freaking yeah. anthrax attacks, which and, were crazy. Were those ever solved? I don't ever recall somebody specifically. Man, I don't think they were. I, I don't know that they, if they were, I don't remember it. Yeah, me neither. Which is, yeah, that, and that was scary. Like everybody was scared to open mail at the time. And it was, yeah, just a weird, scary time. But, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I always go back to is I remember American flags on everything. Yes. And I, it was, it yes. was kind of a cool patriotic time. But I also it remember was. it was bittersweet. I remember that uh, fall. I actually drove up to New York. And uh, it was, man, maybe November or something. I drove by myself from Berea College to New York. And the road, even starting as soon as Kentucky, like still being in Kentucky, was littered with American flags. And as somebody that considers himself uh, fairly patriotic, I stopped and picked up the first few that I saw as I was driving on my trip. Because, you know, you're not supposed to let the American flag touch the ground. I struggle mm. with people on, like, July 4th and Labor Day and stuff where they'll put the American flags on the ground like the little ones. And I'm just that just drives me crazy because they're not supposed to touch the ground. Anyway, like, I picked up three or four on the, on the drive. And then, you know, you couldn't – there was a point where you couldn't go a mile without seeing one. And then it just became like the sides of the road were littered with these little American flags that everybody – would kind of put in the windows of their car. They were, if you Absolutely. Remember, they were like a foot, like 12 by six inches or something. But anyway, I, I remember that whole ride was so melancholy just seeing and, and, and very apropos of sort of the landscape, this patriotism that was just sort of getting left behind on the side of the road as we were kind of all getting mm-hmm. back to business as usual. And I'll never forget. Now you're that. saying you took that trip like two months after the towers f- fell yeah. just on a whim. Uh, was actually seeing a girl from up that way, and uh, of course, yeah, was was going up making a trip for that reason. Well, that's interesting, Tristan, because I went up in October. You know, that's where I'm from. Grew up in Pumpkin Plains, New Jersey, 35, 40 miles from New York City. And I remember uh, my dad was not in the best of health then. He passed away in 04, and he was into his 80s. And I said, "Hop in the car and he'd do what?" And we drove out and got a visual out Route Three and looked out. And um, uh, and and as I recall, I, I guess because I'm not a big fan of driving at night now, but that's 22 years ago. It didn't bother me. It, 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 we must have left late afternoon because by October up there, it's probably getting dark by six or seven. And we saw those two blue lights. Do you remember the two? They had those two blue lights projecting up where the towers were. And I, I, that was pretty wild. And that was probably around Halloween. That was probably late October. In uh, in 2021, in 2001, which is which is a, a weird recollection, also. Yeah, so funny. It, here's a question for you, um, because I've sort of on show record here, nothing in my life really compared, and you're a bit older than me, not you know ridiculously older, but 20 years, Trish. Come on, man, that's 20, a lot. 20 years, it is. Uh, fair enough. Is there anything else in your lifetime that kind of compares to that? I don't. Really no, that would be the biggest. That, no. Yeah. No, that would be the biggest. I was alive for John F. Kennedy, Trisden, but don't remember it. I would have been three years old, and I don't remember. I remember Bobby's. I, I remember Bobby's 
assassination. And I have a vivid recollection of Martin Luther King for a story that I can tell another time. But uh, no, it would absolutely be September 11th. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was really a like a once in a lifetime sort of. Gym. And I'll tell you, cute aside to that. So I probably got home. It wasn't quite midnight, but we were on the air. You know, I was doing the mornings, and we went. So we went on the air. My air shift was ending about nine thirty, and so we went on the air and stayed on all day. And I probably got home at ten thirty or so. And Raymond would have been in kindergarten, I believe. Raymond was born in ninety five, first grade or kindergarten, but I think it was kindergarten. And I remember him saying, Daddy, did you hear about those bad men in New York? I was like, yeah, I heard about them, buddy. Because <laughs> <coughs> the kids that I manage now, Tristan, were, you know, Braille would have been uh, born in 91, 10 years old. So what are you, fifth grade when you're 10? Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Exactly. So the kids that I manage now that are in their 20s were second, third, fourth grade. I, th- I think Lucas was maybe in sixth grade. And, uh, you know, they remember vividly being in the classroom and the teacher coming in and probably rolling the television in and watching it and, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. So it, it is funny, too, because I think, you know, you, I see it a lot. I always kind of gauge things with the age of Major League Baseball players. But <laughs> But it's true, like a lot of Major League Baseball players either weren't even alive for September 11th or, yeah, we're like... Have no recollection. Yeah, so it is fascinating now that there's a whole generation of employed adults that really, you know, wouldn't have a clue. You would have to be probably a minimum of 25 now to have even a vivid, a vivid, even a, a passing recollection of it, you know? Yeah. Like Raymond, like Raymond, if I said to him, to you, and Raymond's 28, Ray, do you remember saying to me, those men, he didn't know what the hell was going on. He was a five or six year old kid. Right. Fascinating stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to our guest, Tris. Ray, I am too. And I think um, I'm pretty excited to talk to him. Uh, you, this is a, a guy that I met actually, a lot of bad stories end up like this, but this is a guy I actually <laughs> met on the internet maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, randomly. I don't even remember how we met. He may have commented on something to do with 9-11, and mm. we just sort of uh, spun up kind of a, a bit of a friendship and, and, and have chatted a little bit periodically uh, for the last several years. And I, I just know John to be a super nice guy, but I know that a big part of his personality is what he went through on that day. And I know it means a lot to him and matters a lot. And, and I look forward to, uh, to hearing his thoughts. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So, and if you like, I mean, we'll we'll do the interview and we'll probably just clear it out. I, I, probably not a great day or show for too much of our horrible comedy. Um, no. So, so yeah, we can we can do a little commercial break here. Uh, bring John on, and um, and we'll 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 peace out. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right, so let's take a little break right here, Ray, and we will be right back with my friend, 9-11 first responder John Kearney. Mr. John Kearney. How are you, John? Good. I'm doing fine, Tristan. Thank you. Yeah, Hello, man. John. Hello, Ray. It's good to see you, too. Likewise. So, yeah. obviously, today's a bit of a, a, a serious show, um, which is not something Ray and I probably are experts <laughs> at uh, not not being wise asses. But, you know, this is this is a big get for us, John. And, and uh, to be able to talk to, to a hero that, that was on the ground on 9-11, it's, uh, you know, a fascinating and horrifying part of American history, but it's, you know, a real a real treat for me and Ray to have you here. Thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. 
already starting to get a little emotional, but I'll be okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and John, take as much time yeah. as you need. Troy does an excellent job editing these and we, you know, we only want to put out there what you want out there. So, you know, no, no worries on anything. Right. The only thing I ask you is don't edit anything. Keep it all together. Okay, Absolutely. cool. Sure. Okay. There Sounds you go. Good. Cool. So I guess I'll, I'll start by talking about how I got to ground zero. Is that Please. Okay? Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was a, a RN student at the local college, Sullivan Community College. Um, I had just passed my LPN license and, um, I called the Red Cross and became a volunteer for them, volunteer nurse. And on September 11th, I was in the bathroom and I suddenly heard my girlfriend start screaming like, almost sound like a chicken, you know? So I ran out to see what was going on and I could see the first tower fall. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and then um, the second tower fell, and I turned around and told her, within five minutes, I may get a call from the Red Cross. And sure enough, within five minutes, they called me and asked me if I could be on a, a bus in White Plains, New York, by 1 o'clock. So I hurried down there. I got there by 1 o'clock. My blood pressure was kind of high. They had to wait about 15 minutes until it went down and then I was approved to get on the bus. So as we got on the bus and we started headed towards New York, we hit the George Washington bridge. There was a big sign up above said New York city is closed to all incoming traffic. Wow. So that was the first clue that we got that something was really bad. You know, that, uh, well, we knew it was bad, but we just didn't realize how bad it was. And um, we had a state police and FBI escort across the George Washington Bridge. They took us down to uh, West 68th Street, which was the home of the uh, uh, headquarters for the American Red Cross. And there was buses going back and forth between Pier 21, which is just a mere mile or so from the sun, from the uh ground zero and dropped us off there. I put my name on a list that said, uh, and I wrote medical underneath it. And um, I was there by five that afternoon. And uh, within five minutes, they called my name. And at the point I said, listen, I'm a medical person. I'm here to do, you know, trauma care and whatnot. And they're like, listen, we need people on the search team. So I went. And uh, basically traumatized the hell out of myself. Hmm. Well, there's, there's no feeling in the world like when you know you're walking on 2,500 of your fellow Americans as well as other people. There's a certain amount of guilt inside you. There's a, a, what they call survivor's guilt, I guess. And I suffered pretty hard from that. But the next day, they, they announced that there were no survivors and that the medical people wouldn't be needed. So I went to Stuyvesant High School. There was a doctor there named, um, oh, I forget his name now. But I asked him what I should do. And he told me, how about you open up the eyewash stations? <laughs> so I opened up the first eyewash stations. We actually took coat racks out there, you know, those mobile coat racks. 
and we hung them and we hung saline bags from those and we had little eye cups that we could put over their eyes. We had um, dye, dye packs to put in their eyes. It was a yellow, almost off yellow colored stuff. But if you open the eye afterwards and you saw any kinds of cracks in the cornea, the dye would enhance those cracks. And we would have to send them forward to the ophthalmologist. Uh, that morning, I actually was part of a medical expedition that did go back into Ground Zero, right there at the pile. And the firemen were basically, we don't need them. You know what I mean? So that's when I went back and I did the eyewash station with a colleague of mine named Z. And um, I was just like, you know, I was, firemen are very stoic. You know, they don't like to admit, if, even if they are hurt, you know. So I basically staffed my eyewash station with pretty gals. And I talked <laughs> each fireman into coming in and, and getting their eyes checked. Um, then we opened up the uh, the first tri bone triage there. So late that night, I, I knew there wasn't much more that I could do. So the next day I left, I was walking down the Henry Hudson Parkway out of ground zero, and it was so heartbreaking. There was lines upon lines of people with pictures of their loved ones asking you if you saw them. Did you see Wow. Yeah, that was pretty sad. But um, there were other people that were clapping for me, you know, because you, you mm. can see the white dust all over me, the gray dust or whatever. And they were clapping. That made me feel a little better, you know what I mean? To know that they were acknowledging our, our sacrifice and being there, you know. There's a famous picture of firemen raising the flag. Right. We were sitting right underneath that on a telephone pole, me and a bunch of firemen and, and ATF men. We were all pretty exhausted by that time. So we were sitting on the downed fire pole looking up when they did that. So, And I have that plate. I think I showed you, uh, Tristan, the plate my mother bought me. It's like a 14-inch plate that yeah. shows the raising of that flag. So... Uh, after that, um, I got up to the um, back to the headquarters in White Plains, and it was really nice because they had food there for all of us, and there was psychologists there to comfort us. But I still remember everything as if it happened yesterday, and it will stay with me for the rest of my life. So, John, you're you're obviously. Uh, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, it's, and I'm sure Ray would concur with this. It was haunting and hard and, and, and just stressful for those of us that only saw it, you know, on non high definition TVs in 2001. But what, what stands out to you the most? Like, what do you remember the most from, from the other first responders and the folks that were working on the ground with you that day? Oh God, um, they were so brave and they were so dedicated that I was honored to be among them because like I said, the second day I was part of a medical exposition that actually went in and I was proud of everybody there. I actually had a camera with me that I took 36 pictures, nothing gory, just like of, of, of a, uh, a child's eating area uh, 
where children would sit at this little table with little chairs that was totally covered with dust. Uh, pit, uh, cars that looked like they were just thrown in the air and came back down, and you couldn't even tell what kind of car it was. Wow. Um, there was dust all over everything, uh, at least about that thick. An inch or more, wow. Yeah, yeah, and I won't talk about the gory thing. You know what I mean? Because I saw a lot of that. I'm still haunted by that in a lot of ways. But, yeah. But as far as my colleagues go and the firemen and the uh, fire, the police, I commend them a lot. Um, as far as uh, my own health, um, I was declared permanently and totally disabled in 2011. Uh, I had a lawyer that sued New York. They were called Napoleon Byrne. And the funny thing about it was if you had a lawyer, uh, a law firm covering you, you couldn't apply for the Zagrota Fund. Okay? Wow. Yeah. So I had Napoleon Byrne, and they promised me a certain amount of money for, for my loss of wages and my, and my injuries. I received about half of that because what happened is two of the defendants of Battery Park and New York City were released from, from any liability. So now I received half of that, and, and, and what it did was it only helped me catch up to my bills already. You know what I mean? That I already had already from being out of work for two years. And uh, so today I live on pretty much of a limited income. I can honestly say that I don't, um, I don't have any medical bills, which I'm very happy about. They pay for my oxygen. They pay for my inhalers. Um, but other than that, you know, the firemen and the police, everything was focused on them. Nobody even knew that there were medical people there, you know, but we had morticians. We had funeral directors. We had nurses, doctors, all there to try to help. And it was, you talk about looking around and you see people from Virginia, state police from Virginia. You see uh, demolition crews that flew all the way from California to be there to help. So I was very proud of the United States and our people here that there were so many people there to, that came to help. How old were you, John, when you went through that? Well, I'm 67 now. Okay. So Mid-40s. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Mid-40s. Hey, here, here's a very uh, unimaginative question, a pedestrian question, if you will. So you said you spent two nights. Where did they put you up? Were you near ground zero? That's the funny thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, within the perimeter, there's a high school called Stuyvesant High School. And that was pretty much the headquarters for everything gotcha. going on. And when it was kind of funny because when you walked into Stuyvesant High School, there was food galore on the left and a triage on the right. Oh, wow. And it was the first time I saw food so close to medical. You know what I mean? That's crazy. So like Tristan said, we all watched on non-high-def televisions, John, and, and we picture that kind of gray and, and smoky and, and cloudy um, 
atmosphere. Was it like that the entire time you were there? I would imagine that um, the sky never cleared or the sky didn't clear for quite some time. No, sir, it didn't. And and the thing was, is you could walk out, like when I would walk out of Stuyvesant High School, within 15 minutes, my face felt like a cat scratched it. Wow. And all I had was a paper mask. Paper mask. Yes, sir. John, uh, one question I have for you. I know that, um, you know, we, we don't probably throw the term around hero lightly and uh, certainly think of the folks that responded that day, medical, fire, police, certainly, certainly unquestionably the definition of heroism. Did you even know when you were getting on the bus to go to New York, did anybody really even know what was going on at that point? Did we know it was a terrorist attack or it was just this is bad, let's go? No, by that time, we knew it was a terrorist attack because, like I okay. said, it was like 4 o'clock by the time we crossed the bridge. Okay. So by that time, everybody knew the second plane had hit, the second tower had come down. We realized it was definitely a terror attack. And that was one thing that all of us as responders were worried about because we kept seeing F-11s flying. I think yeah. F-11s flying overhead. Because there was a there was a, a suspicion that they were going to attack again and try to kill all the responders as well. Wow! Hmm. So yeah, yeah, did, so that was scary. There were things falling off of buildings. Yeah, huge pieces of of of, of, of facade falling right. down. Um, but as far as where we slept, we had to sleep in the Stuyvesant High School. How about that? And you would go up on the second floor there where they had cots laid out. Mm. But the bathrooms, there was no water. Mm. So the bathrooms had like a pyramid of feces in every toilet Ah. coming out of the toilets. And there were also rumors that survivors were still, uh, they were getting uh, emails from survivors under the pile. Oh, my God. God. Yeah, so nobody could sleep. We all went right back out again because because um, we couldn't sleep and we were worried that there were still survivors there, hmm. especially the first night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't sleep at all uh, those three days, not at all, not one wink. And I don't regret it. Uh, if it happened again tomorrow, I would do it again. You know, if it meant saving any lives. But do you can you recall, John, that bus ride that had to be pretty somber or even actually coming? uh, I mean, you're crossing the Washington Bridge. You're coming all the way downtown. That's a long drive through the city. I mean, what was the demeanor of the city like? Was it just everybody? It was almost as quiet as a church mouse. Yeah, right. Right. Okay. And even people on the bus, none of us were talking. We were just looking at each other. Right. Wondering what we were about to walk into. Yeah. And like I said, when you walked into it, you certainly had a lesson. You know? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Something that you just never, well, obviously can't prepare yourself for, but never thought on that morning you would be in a situation like that. Absolutely not. You know, the funny thing is when I got back, the girl that I was dating was here at my house and she stole my camera. Oh, oh, no. no. And yeah, and while we were walking through Ground Zero, there was a, a guy next to me who kept picking up. There were thousands of, of ID cards. 
Oh, wow. People that just blew out of the windows when the place mm. went up, went down. And he was picking them up. And I was like, what are you doing that for? He said, that's a souvenir. I said, well, oh, God. yeah, I said, that's not a souvenir, man. That's something that's very personal to people. Mm. He said, you know what? You're right. And he threw them on the ground, right? Wow. But he's the same guy who, when we went in the second day, I had run out of film on my camera. I only had two pictures on it. And he had a roll, and he gave me that roll. And I took pictures of my colleagues. I had two pictures of myself. One, I'm giving a peace sign right in front of the pile and whatnot. And those people depended on me to get those pictures back to them, too. Right. And when that girl stole those pictures, her name was Lori Bartolini. She's from uh, Staten Island, New York. I put her on my Facebook, Tristan. If you go down, you'll see I got her picture there and everything. And I wasn't afraid. You're not still dating her, are you, John? Hell no. No, <laughs> <laughs> no don't do after that, you know. <laughs> yeah, because she asked me, where's the pictures? I said, they're in my car. They're locked in there. And at one point, I looked out the window, and she was in the trunk of her car looking at me like that, you know, putting Man. something in a bag. And then even when I came back in, I noticed that my keys, I always put my keys in the same place. And I noticed that they were in a different place. Mm. And even then, it didn't strike me that she had just stolen the camera. It wasn't until I went out to the car to get the camera that I realized it was gone. And so, mm. John, you, you spent two days working medical there at the Ground Zero? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. And, and it's amazing. And you, uh, we talked, I don't know if, uh, since we've been recording, but I know you have lingering effects. You have an inhaler, you have oxygen. So it only yes. took two, two days for that type of damage to occur. That is horrible and amazing. Yeah. Well, like I said, as soon as you walked out of the school, you felt like a cat scratched your face. And so all that was in the air. Yeah. And I had to keep pulling that paper mask down. Because what happened is everywhere, everybody, everywhere that there might have been a respirator went down with the security building on day two. So any equipment that we could have used was now gone. And all I had was that surgical mask that I just had to keep coming down just to talk. Hey, John, explain that if you would. So on day two, a second building fell? Yeah, yeah. The security building, building number five, I believe it was. That came so down. This, these buildings are all sort of the Twin Tower complex? Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. Okay. And it was, it's a funny thing because when they built that security complex, people wanted to have, have it up in Queens, New York. Mm -hmm. It was Mayor Giuliani who insisted on putting it by the Twin Towers, even though in 93 there was the attempt where the parking garage was bombed. Right. Right. So that was the security building that was actually part of the uh, the Twin Tower complex. Wow, interesting. Yeah. And that fell on day two. Yes, sir, it did. It, it went mm -hmm. down in a pancake. And there yes, it conspiracy, did. Conspiracy theories about that, right? That is one of those things that people find when they're talking about all the, you know, the Internet nonsense, that that's one of the things. that. Yeah, that bothers me. Yeah. I, I, I bet it imagine. does. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, because what you got to understand is that the Twin Towers went up like that, and they were they were supported by exterior girders, right? 
Right. When the top floor got so hot that it started to collapse, the rest of the floors weren't made to take that kind of weight. Exactly. And all of the beams bent inward like this. Sure. Which made it pancake straight down like they did. Right. So. And once that first floor goes and a second floor, a third floor, there's no way it's going to hold that weight. I mean, good gracious. Right. It's, you right. know. It went down big time. So these conspiracies, oh, they're all over the place. And all they do is piss me off. You know? But I, I, I would right, me too. But I would imagine, John, that, um, you know, out of any tragedy, those, those, uh, well, not even heroic, just those human compassion stories. I mean, you must have, you know, it's that weird thing about people. We're at our best when things are at their worst. And right. I'm sure you saw some great people, right? I met some wonderful people, yeah. I don't even remember their names because there were so sure. many sure. faces, you know. But, yeah, that's what it was. And even today, like you can see, I can still get emotional about it. Understandable. Uh -oh. Sometimes I have this recurring nightmare that I'm going down a, a, a air vent mm. and I'm on a rope and I slip on the rope and the further I fall, the smaller the air vent gets. Wow. And then I can't breathe and I wake mm. up gasping for breath. You know? God, that's rough, man. Yeah, yeah. And I still have that nightmare to this day. You know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have it every night, of course, but every now and then. Mm. So, John, tell me something. Um, is there anything that stands out? I know, you know, there was obviously a lot of media coverage of everything that happened. What would folks who weren't there, what's something that stands out that we wouldn't know, that you could tell us that you guys wouldn't believe? And you, you've told us some of that already with kind of the vehicles that look like they had kind of exploded up fell out of the sky yeah, yeah. is there anything else that you can think of at least top of mind that if uh that you would know or have seen that we wouldn't have that it's just unimaginable from that day well i i can't think of something that they didn't show already other than the gory stuff you know what i right. mean yes um but I do remember that I opened up, uh, there was a little shack next to the Sheridan Hotel. Hmm. And there were two holes in the top of it. And I remember opening up and finding two bodies there. Wow, oh, Jesus, John. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's so, brutal, man. That was coming. Well, yeah, no, that, that that's brutal. Uh, let me ask this question, John. Uh, yeah. Now that they've got the new Freedom Tower, which got unfortunately delayed and some political nonsense involved with it. Have you been back to see it? Have you been back to quote unquote visit? I went back for the 10 year anniversary. You did? Yes. And that was cool. when they only had like yeah. four stories done. Right, right, right. Right. And I remember this lady interviewing me and I cried. Well, that had to be emotional, John. That yeah. had to be. I mean, if you're getting this emotional now, that day had to have been brutal. It was terrible, but you know what the yeah. funny thing is? I kept it together the whole time I was there. Good for you. It wasn't until I left that yeah. um, even on my way home, I pulled the car over and I started to cry. Wow, I bet. Yeah, and and a uh, uh, Palisades police officer pulled up behind me on Palisades ah. Parkway. Yeah. And uh, he told me I was speeding a little. Hmm. And I 
and he could see where I, I told him I just came from the trade center and he let me go. Oh, nice. He let me go. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But I still had tears in my eyes, you know, God. Dang, so, man. See that. Yeah. So, so John, how long did it take? I mean, obviously you're still affected by this emotionally as anybody would be. You're affected yeah. physically, physically, uh, with, with oxygen and, COPD. How long did it take you to realize that there was going to be some issues? You know, how how long after nine eleven did you start to say, "My breathing is not right right now"? Two thousand and two. Wow. Mm. April of two thousand and two. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's when the that's when I first started going to the doctor because I realized there was something wrong with me. Wow. And, and I know yeah. you know Ray and I don't have a lot of pull in the media world necessarily, but I know uh, as strong opinionated guys, I know one of the hardest things to, to watch, and I know uh, John Stewart has really stepped up and tried to help uh, get some financing done uh, for, for yes. first responders, but it's it's hard to watch, John. Uh, politicians can be politicians and they can gripe over some of this nonsense and, and, and preach to a base, but when you see things like first responders that were there that day, need medical treatment that as a country we're not going to pony up. I mean, that's really, really sickening. And, and I could care less what political party is not voting for that. Fuck those guys. I appreciate that. Um, even myself, you know, when I think about, you know, everybody talked about the firemen and the police and everybody, nobody ever talked about the medical people like myself that were there and got hurt. And, you know, just the fact that I got screwed by my lawyers, you know what I mean? And now because there's still an open case against Saudi Arabia, I still yeah. I still can't go to the VCF for any kind of compensation. So here I sit. I don't go anywhere. Um, I used to like to dance and stuff. I can't do that anymore. If I even want to do, do some digging or something, I got to throw on the oxygen tank, you know. So let me ask you this, John. No yeah. regrets? No regrets. Cool. No, no. Um, I did the second day that morning at about 11 o'clock. Um, I was told to go and search the outbuilding. Mm -hmm. So uh, Dr. Peralo, that was his name that I cool. in Stuyvesant High School. And um, as I was looking, I came upon this couple that looked like they just came from the Holocaust, you know. Mm. This old couple. And I said, what are you doing here? And they're like, we can't find our way out. They could not find their way out of the World Trade Center. Wow. So I walked them down to the river. Now, the day before, there was umpteen boats at the riverside there yeah, along the Hudson to help transport people across the river. That's cool. But thank God, even on that second day, there was one fireboat down there. Wow. One of those brass things, uh, the brass. Yeah. That you can yes. Hang. Yes. Good description. Yeah. Yeah. So I talked to the captain and I got those people on the boat and got them across the river. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Man, I that's about that. Incredible, John. That is that is an incredible story, man. Yes, sir. God's you honest. Have my, you have my utmost respect. Thank you, yeah. Ray. I appreciate that so much. You know. Yeah, um, it, it, it means a lot that you would that you would just talk and share some of this with us because I mean I you know I, anybody that's ever been through trauma or tragedy and I'm sure a lot of people have in life it's not something that you want to go talk about with anybody let alone you know 
couple guys on a podcast. So, I mean, to go through something like that and, and see what you saw and do what you did, you know, we appreciate you sharing your story because, I mean, I think it, it probably helps a lot of people either who were there that day or deal with their own trauma and see that, you know, that with work you can, you can get through that. And one question that I've got, which is just kind of a non sequitur, but I know how I felt when bin Laden was finally killed. Hmm. How, did, how did it make you feel when we did finally get justice? Happy as a pig in poop. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and then when they got his partner there with that over-the-horizon uh, missile just a couple right. of years ago, I was very happy about that, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because they needed to pay for what they did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. There, there are, you know, I'm not a big round them up and kill them type of guy when it comes to bad guys. But I think that was one of the exceptions for me, you know, let's draw and quarter those motherfuckers. Like it's, you know, the, the 1400s uh, nothing would have been off limits. I think at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do to them what they did to those people, you know, right. right. That's right. Exactly. Throw a bunch of rocks on top of them. Like the, uh, yeah. like they did over there. Where was that? Where they, uh, they caught the, uh, pilot from Lebanon and they, Right. Cage and then they don't. Oh my God. Hell of a way to go, man. Oh my God. Mm. You know, but I, I have listened to some of the recordings and you can hear one guy talking to his wife and then all you hear him do is go, oh, God. And you, you know, he just. That's died. brutal. That's yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Just it's a terrible thing. I hope it never happens again. Absolutely. Amen. It does in my lifetime. I'll be there. Good for you. Yes, sir. That's why you're Even here, with my I'll be there. You know? All right. Yeah. Well, well, John, I know we've went probably a, even a couple minutes longer than we, we told you uh, we were going to try to keep you for today. But I, I definitely don't want to leave without giving you the opportunity if there if there's anything you'd like to add or a question we didn't ask that, that you think uh, you want to share. We'd love to hear it. Well, the one thing I would like to share is the fact that First of all, it didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter what color you were. It didn't matter what your job was. If you were in those buildings, you died. You know? Mm -hmm. And when they see that phrase, we are one, we are one. Right. And, and when I see um, what's going on in this country now, the division, you know, I would so much love to see us all pull together again and become caring Americans for each other. You know what I Amen. mean? Yes, Not sir. only outside the uh, United States, but definitely within the United States to get right. rid of those stupid differences. Because when you take our skin off, we're all flesh and bone. Right. It doesn't matter where we came from. We are one. And that's the one thing that um, stands out to me also, you know? And I try to tell people that whenever I can, you know, it, you know, it didn't matter who you were, you know? And right. it, did, it did it. Right. And I would just like to see everybody come together again like we did on that day. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, and yes. it's a shame that we can't. It's a shame that right. we can't. Yeah, and that's right. the, the, the only time in my lifetime I've ever seen patriotism and, uh, you know, kind of what you feel like America should be. Where exactly. A whole, whole lot more of us get along than don't. We're really more looking for reasons to 
you know, be positive with each other. I remember, remember there wasn't a lot of political differences. We all just sort of got behind what was going on and, and it wasn't a lot of, you know, it wasn't a lot of what we see today in politics and with race and, and certain things. So yeah, there, there was as awful and miserable of a situation as that was, we really came together and it's sad that yes. we lost it so fast. Yeah. And if this, this podcast could do anything, um, and if anybody cares about me and what I live with today, um, I still live with the, um, the survivor's guilt mm. where you tend to feel that you belong with them. Mm. You belong with the people that die. You don't belong here. Why am I alive? And why are they dead? You know what I mean? Right. So if anybody could feel that for me, then let them take their differences and put them on a shelf. That would cool. be my biggest prayer from this podcast. That's fantastic. That is, yes. And John, I would certainly say, and I'm sure you've, you've had lots of friends and family members tell you this over time, uh, but obviously you're a hero and, and we're very much glad that you didn't uh, stay there. You know, we're glad that you were fine and, 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 and doing well. And, and I appreciate your friendship and, and I appreciate you coming on. Thank Absolutely. you, Tristan. Ray, thank you also. Thank you. Fantastic. John Curry, Best of luck to you, John. John. Thank, thank you. Hero. American hero. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. So now i got to wait 15 minutes. 15 hopefully seconds. Not. Yeah, hopefully. Actually, let's see. There should be. Do you have a button, John, that says leave recording or leave studio perhaps? Yes, I do. Click that, and that should pull you off. And then when your number, if you see a number that should hopefully say in the 90s above our faces, once it hits 100, you're good to, to yeah. exit. Mine says 99, John, so hopefully yours does too. Man, that yeah. was fantastic. Uh, uh, th thanks for spending time with us, John. Good, good. I hope it's Absolutely. everything you hoped for. You know? yeah, it sure was. It sure was. Thank you. Thank you. And you guys take care. Yeah, we'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Tony with We Do Epoxy, and I'm looking for ugly floors. I mean, so ugly, dirt won't stick to it. We can take your ugly garage, basement, porch, or patio and turn it into a work of art in just a couple of days. Is your garage floor so ugly you keep the door closed to prevent anyone from seeing it? We Do Epoxy can fix that. Stop living with ugly concrete. Call me today at 859-582-7920. That's Tony at 859-582-7920.